So we have 10 lepers. Leprosy. Now, this is definitely something that we probably on a first-person basis have not experienced. Thanks be to God for that. But yet in Jesus' time, leprosy was extremely prevalent. Now, if you're a leper, you basically live a life of zero hope. You have zero hope. Leprosy, it's not getting cured. Not only not getting cured, you are completely shunned and you are cast out and you are to only live in a leper colony for the rest of your life. You will die in pain and you will die with lepers away from your family, away from those whom you love, and there is zero hope. There is even actually this idea that during this time, the reason why these particular people had leprosy was they were being punished by God. They were cursed by God because of this leprosy. Which was not correct, but yet even them, these lepers themselves and people around them are realizing that there, yeah, there is zero hope. Not even God cares. Not even God is going to heal you. No way. Zero hope. So here comes Jesus. We have these ten lepers, and it says they stand off at a distance. Of course, they can't get close to Jesus. They got to stand far, far away. They're They're separated. And they just cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. That's all he says. Go show yourselves to the priest. And here they go. They're going to follow what the Lord says. And on the way, so they didn't even literally finish what the Lord said. They didn't actually get to the priest. On the way to the priest, they were healed. Now, leprosy, it's probably all over their face, all over their hands, their arms, their entire body. These painful, open sores continually deformed, this pain. You live with this on a daily basis. So you would know the moment that all of a sudden there was no more pain. This feeling that you've experienced for so long in this moment was gone. On their way, they didn't even reach the priest. They were completely cleansed. All of a sudden, like life changes in this moment. Talk about hope, talk about joy, talk about new life in this moment. They're completely healed. And then one of them goes back to the Lord Jesus. He glorifies the Lord and he thanks him. And the utter hurt in the voice of Jesus. I mean, Jesus responds to this one leper in pain. Like, Jesus in the gospel today is actually hurt. He's in pain. He is saddened. Were there not ten of you? And only one has come back to give thanks? We're not ten cleansed? Ten men who live without hope of no ability to experience new life? And yet this miraculous healing of power of God has come upon you and only one of you comes back to say thank you? The utter sadness and pain in the voice of Jesus because of the ingratitude 
of these lepers who are now cleansed, who can now enter back into the normalcy of life and experience a life to which they never thought would be possible. All of us, all of us here, all of us that are born in the reality of this world have leprosy. Not of body, but of soul. Every person has been touched by sin. The depth of the soul which literally separates us from God. It hinders man from having relationship. It hinders man from experiencing fullness of life. The deformity and the suffering and the consequences of death come forth because of sin. The leprosy to which we cannot heal ourselves and a life of no hope. The moment sin entered into the world, heaven's gates were closed and opened the doors to hell itself. Before Jesus, my brothers and sisters, there was no hope. The leprosy, because of sin, was never being cleansed and we were to die in that state. Yet because of what Jesus has done, has granted us the gift of new life. This ability to experience healing. This ability to experience new life and relationship with Jesus, with the Lord once again. Instead of being rejected and cast off, we've been brought close to God once again in Jesus. Like, oh my goodness. Talk about a life now supposed to be lived in thanksgiving continually. To live a life constantly in gratitude for what the Lord has done in the midst of our lives. Of reestablishing hope. And I mean, this is actually what we're doing here. A part of the reality of Mass is actually being able to offer this sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, right? Praising the Lord for who He is, thanking Him for what He's done. And you know what? I'm going to prove it to you. So what I want to do right now is I'm actually going to go through certain prayers that you have already prayed and prayers that we're going to pray, and I want you to listen to the language about the reality of what we're doing here, why we're here, the prayers that you're going to pray, and this reality of living a life continually of thanksgiving. We start with the Gloria. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. We come into the house of God and we praise him for who he is. We bless him for who he is. And we give him thanks we give him thanks for what he has done in his son Jesus, and we come to be able to participate in that healing and that new life. After the intercessions, we'll move to the offertory, and you're going to hear me say, I'm going to say to you, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. You lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. What are you going to respond? It is right and just. I'll continue and I'll say it is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. This particular prayer that I say we will not actually pray this today as we will pray for Sunday, but this particular prayer is so beautiful. It continues and says, For although you have no need of our praise, God does not need our praise. Yet our thanksgiving is itself your gift. 
Our gift to the Lord is thanksgiving. Since our praises add nothing to your greatness, but profit us for salvation. Praise and thanksgiving are not only a gift to the Lord, but it profits us for salvation. It is right and just, and it actually profits us because we recognize that, man, without you, Lord, we have no hope. That you have done that which we cannot do ourselves. And I praise you, and I thank you. I lived a life of no hope, and now in you I can experience new life. Thank you, Lord. It is right and just to give the Lord thanks. In our gospel acclamation, so this particular verse before the gospel is actually read, is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which says, In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is God's will for your life. A lot of times, in the midst of difficulty and suffering, right, these are the consequences of sin. We grumble against the Lord. We get mad or frustrated, sometimes even blame the Lord for the particular difficulties and sufferings that we have within our life. And it's not his fault. We blame the Lord for things that he's never even done. Consequences for us being disobedient, we then blame and grumble and get frustrated at the Lord. And yet the Lord is saying that in all circumstances, you are to give thanks. And Christ himself was the greatest witness of this completely. In all circumstances of giving thanks. A few hours before the Lord Jesus was going to be arrested. The Last Supper. A few hours before he was going to be arrested and scourged, beat, nails in his hands and his feet and crucified. Knowing this was going to happen... This is what he says. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread and giving you thanks, he said the blessing. At the Last Supper, his traitor is literally sitting at the same table with him and instead of grumbling about the reality of what's about to happen, he gives thanks to his father. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and giving you thanks, he said the blessing. He is about to literally be crucified and he gives thanks. Talk about somebody who has the ultimate right to grumble, to be angry, to be frustrated at the injustice that is about to happen to him. And what does Jesus do? He gives thanks to his father. Does anyone know what the Greek word Eucharist actually means? Like what Eucharist means in, the, in Greek? Amen. It means thanksgiving. Eucharist in the Greek, where the word comes from, actually means thanksgiving. This is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The thanksgiving that through the body and blood of Jesus Christ offered to the Father on our behalf grants us the gift of eternal life. And we are thankful that which we could not do ourselves, we're granted that life in Jesus. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We're called to be transformed into Eucharist, into thanksgiving. We come to share and partake in this goodness. We thank him for what he's done and for what he's going to do. Because actually what's even crazier is the fact that God himself in his goodness 
still is going to continue to come down and transform these ordinary gifts of bread and wine by the power of the Holy Spirit into the same body and blood of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you. Many people don't know, but we should know this in the gift of our faith. If there is any sin that is not grave, that is not mortal upon our hearts, and we enter into the gift of receiving communion, the moment the body and blood of Jesus touches our lips, if there is no sin that is mortal upon our soul, every sin in that moment is gone, is healed, is cleansed, is forgiven. The blood of Jesus heals. It brings back into reconciliation. If there is not mortal sin upon the soul, for if there is... We are not to receive our Lord Jesus because we're not in a state to receive him. We actually reap condemnation, as St. Paul says. But if we are not in that state and we receive our Lord Jesus with venial sin upon our soul, everything is forgiven, which makes a ton of sense, which is why in the midst of the Mass you will see me when I elevate our Lord Jesus. And you'll hear me say, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called in the name of the Lord. And we'll respond, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Dang right, my soul shall be healed because your body and blood is about to enter into me to which sin that is not mortal has no ability to stand. That I shall be healed in that moment. I shall be forgiven in that moment. I shall be brought forth into union with you in that moment. Christ himself has said in John chapter 6, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life within them and I will raise them on the last day. The gift of participating in the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the Eucharist, my brothers and sisters, is your fulfillment and the promise of salvation. That in that moment, you are experiencing new life, not just forgiveness, but the promise that God will raise you on the last day. When you partake of his body and his blood, this gift of thanksgiving that he offers to you all the time, it is this moment that you have the promise of life eternal. If we were to die in that state of receiving our Lord Jesus, in that moment, my goodness, we die in hope and the reality that we shall be raised on the last day. That's the promise of God himself. Our lives, my brothers and sisters, are called to be a life of thanksgiving for what God has done because we did not deserve it. And yet we come before the Lord in the gift of this holy mass, the gift of the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to participate, to receive, to give him thanks, to profit us for salvation. And yet how many times, my brothers and sisters, mass will end and we will just literally go off go on to our next thing, not even think about it, and yet we don't take two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, and sit and kneel and thank the Lord of glory who is inside of us for what he's just done. That the blood of Jesus flows through our veins in that moment and he's purifying us. He's forgiving us our sin. He's granting us new life, new hope and the promise of life eternal in that moment. I want to challenge you, my brothers and sisters. I want to challenge you to begin to, life, to live a new life of thanksgiving, particularly after the gift of the Mass, to take the time. Don't talk to anybody else. You talk to Jesus who is inside of you. You kneel down, you close your eyes, and you thank him. And not just thank him, you come back. 
You come back to thank the Lord for what he's done for you. Because he's done something that you could never do yourself. There is no hope without Jesus Christ. There is no salvation without Jesus Christ. And we have the gift every single Mass to enter into this gift of thanksgiving. To receive his body and blood. The forgiveness of our sins and the new life to come in Jesus. We need to thank him for that. Jesus has saved us. Saved us from hell. Eternal damnation. Separation forever from God. I challenge you. I challenge you to begin to be transformed into Eucharist. To place your own self upon this altar. That so you too, as God and the Holy Spirit will transform bread and wine to the body and blood of Jesus. It will transform you into thanksgiving. To live a life of constant thanksgiving to the Father, to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because it's truly right and just. It's our duty to offer him thanks and praise. When Mass is ended, kneel, sit, close your eyes, and thank the Lord of glory for what he's done for you. Thank him for what he's doing for you in that moment as his body and blood flows through your veins, my brothers and sisters. We give thanks to the Lord because it is right and just. It really is our duty and it's our salvation. And what a gift that we have. May we, from this moment on, recognize that we come into this sacrifice of thanksgiving, this sacrifice of praise to the Lord. May our hearts burn out of great love for him. That we will always give thanks and we will always come back to give him thanks. Amen.